I am your host, Amy Walsh, and I'm here with some familiar faces. Could you please do me the honour of introducing yourselves? Hi, I'm Zara Brown. I'm the director of Timeline. Uh, and I'm Liz Redwood. I'm um, the writer. I wrote two of the uh, audio dramas for the Timeline. So today, as you may have guessed, we're talking about the Timeline ex exhibition. Can you tell me just a little bit, like a blurb, about what is the Timeline exhibition? Basically, the timeline is about um, Kristallnacht, and if those of you have never heard of Kristallnacht before, it's the events leading up to World War II. Back in Germany in 1938, in November, there was a lot of political unrest in, in regards to the Jewish people and the Nazis, and someone shot a Nazi diplomat, and it caused riots throughout Germany, and synagogues got burned down, businesses got burnt fire and it's broken glass everywhere, which is why they say Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. It is such a modern part of history without people knowing much about it, because I know, like, it was, it's sort of brought up in high school, but you never learn, like, that much about, like, what it actually is. Often people think of, like, any events during the Holocaust and World War II in general as, like, ancient history. How did you find, when you're looking into Kristallnacht, how did you find that, like, shock of like, oh, this is a recent thing that kind of happens. Yeah, it's it's mind blowing to see how far such a horrible government can get into power, and people actually supporting it, like the 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 Hitler Youth Group's children going Heil Hitler, to them such making such nasty, horrible Jewish slurs, and not just Jewish people as well, disabled people, and anyone that doesn't fit the. Um, Oh, what's the term for the ideal? Uh, Aryan. Aryan, Aryan race. Because yeah. I know, because, fun fact about me, I am a history nerd, and I know at first when Hitler was rising <laughs> to power, the concentration camps were set up as like a prisoner of war camp kind of thing, of, like, so, so political enemies would get sent there, and then Jordan the Wansey Conference, I couldn't tell you the year because it's been a minute, but like Jordan the Wansey Conference, that's when he decided, oh yeah, I'm going to have that, my personal vendetta, we as a group decide we're going to take it out, and then I'm... Don't, don't quote me on this in your essays that you're writing, but I'm pretty sure Kristen happened after this, where it was like everyone getting attacked. And so the show itself, after that, history lesson, <laughs> after that, um, the show itself, how did you come out framing and picking specific like moments to focus on Jordan? Well, I wasn't involved in the writing process, but from what I gather is they wanted to do the lead up of the panic of the night of Kristallnacht, so they knew that there was starting to become rights in the streets, and we wanted to focus on individual people and families of how scary that must have been for them. And in this like six part radio series, you see like you follow six different groups of people, families or like friends going through the trauma of what it must be like to have like these Nazis, the SAS, coming after them. And the actual event itself, you've got Jason Kelly, who's a fantastic artist. He's got his artwork all over the Royal Standard, so you'll see like what like it'll visually look like of each of these episodes. But the performances will include a animated video of each of this and the audio recordings of our actors doing six of these episodes which is really beautiful and touching and also horrific <laughs> the classic combination of mm. retelling history and so Liz is one of the writers yeah. what was your experience when you were right trying to make this material um, well basically Chris, Chris came up you know said about we want <clears throat> audio plays short audio plays about Chris, the night really of Crystal Nacht um, 
So it, it's basically about ordinary Jewish people and what they were doing at that time. Um, so the the ones that I've written are just just basically like I say ordinary people, and then it, it's kind of like you know if you're in Liverpool one yeah. night and you're just in your home, and all of a sudden <coughs> there's people apologise for the <laughs> surround sounds. It's an immersive experience. <laughs> Talking about an immersive experience. <laughs> what you get. Um, and you know so you're just watching telly one night and then all of a sudden there's people like outside smashing windows so you because they don't like who you are and wanting to burn you know your house down and all that kind of thing so it was just for for me it was getting into that mindset what that must have been like and how terrifying that must have been um so it was just stories about ordinary ordinary people and what so the ones that i wrote are just ordinary people and what they were doing what circumstances were in when all this started happening um and kind of the effect and you know and the effect that it would have on you so i, I did quite a bit of research because because i'd not i didn't really know much about crystal Act at all so i did a lot of research about it um and just came up with just yeah three stories about um just, I was just kind of thinking, what was the worst possible scenario? What what situation could you be in that would be the worst possible scenario if this started happening around you, you know, outside your house? So, um, so one of the stories is is kind of the worst possible worst possible scenario you could be in as a woman. Um, I won't say what it is because I don't want to give it away. Yeah, yeah. And I did a lot of research, and I was horrified about what I read. You know, it was it was just awful. You know, and it was about kind of what actually happened to people. And some of it was that sort of um, violently graphic that I couldn't put it in. You know, because it was it was just awful. You know, what happened to some people. and it was it was yeah it was really sort of sobering stuff you know reading it it was uh, yeah quite sort of harrowing really yeah. What was the most surprising thing you came up against when you were first getting into the research? Um, I think it was just what what surprised me is just how much hatred there could be against um, people because of you know because of the sort of the religion and race and culture and how something that's basically not that different doesn't really set you aside that much from people but how can that induce so much hate uh, that people want to destroy you basically yeah. you know that that was really sort of shocking um, yeah, how effective the propaganda was is yeah, still so yeah, mind-blowing to yeah, me and we yeah. like to think in such a modern culture we would that would never happen to us yeah. we would never be that against someone mm-hmm. but it happens all the, all yeah. the time all over the world yeah. even yeah. if you honestly not to be controversial but if you look at what happens during the Brexit campaign alone the amount of propaganda that got shown there yeah. and it was people ate it up easily and it's like because people it believe ha- the news people yeah. you want to have faith in the people that are educating you about the rest of the world like it yeah. it comes from a genuine place of like i just i want to believe that no one's lying right to me face mm. and it's sad to see that like those in power it's pretty easy to do yeah i like mm. to believe deep down people aren't hateful and evil but I believe with the rights information that they get exposed to, yeah. they're set in echo chambers. That's how you become racist, bigoted, or whatever. Yeah, no, like, I know, my dad, he's a lovely man, but, like, he was in the RAF, so he had a lot of just general beliefs about life and how things should be in a very set kind of way, and it's, like, that's just because that's the environment he was in. And so when he came back, and, like, my mother's a very, very, like left-wing freedom of the people like she was an Irish woman raised Jordan troubles in all female households so like she has a lot of like 
crazy beliefs in comparison to what he was believing. And again, they're both wonderful people. I love them. Love you, mum and dad. But um, <laughs> it, it, the information you are given builds who you are as a person. It, it's hard to avoid that. Like you're not you're not a vacuum separate from reality. Like these things happen. Mm. And it's, even if you can see young people who are getting into politics, you can sort of see where they get the beliefs from the parents, and then where they've done their own education. Because sometimes there are just people like I'm not really into politics. This is a belief I have. And then I, I'm like, well, why? And they're like, well, it's just what I've been told. I don't really care about it because it doesn't impact me. But it is a shock to see how much the media and politics impact you. Like, the, I remember when I first, like, as a child, realised, like, oh, wow, the world is more than just my house. <laughs> it was it was awful experience. Hate it. Wish I could go back. But it's, it's, it's not... There's that meme, isn't there, that says you are not immune to propaganda. Like, anyone can fall for it. You can be the best person in the world with the best models you're surrounded by the enough thing enough you're going to believe whatever the main storyline is being told to you absolutely and even when you try and do your own research you actually read the statistics people who wrote those like those papers manipulate statistics to fit their own argument so it's so hard to find out which is the truth which is the correct thing and also aligns with your morals and how do you know if you're more it it can be so confusing the more i know the more i realize i know nothing yeah it is (laughs) classic especially like jordan hitler's reign let's call it for some reason jordan his reign like books got burnt like basic facts got burnt so it's like people didn't have access to the outside world other than what they were being shown by the government and the media and it's easy to believe like oh the media has nothing to do with governments but it's like that's what's funding it like it comes from somewhere that everything has a tie and everything has a link and I'm doing my best not to sound uh, like a passionate socialist here but like it is important to be aware of where the sources of information are coming from because as we've seen from history it's not hard to get lost in that Mm. Absolutely, it's both sides though, not just left, yeah. just right. They no, both lie. To, oh my god, yeah. The, the, at the end of the day, they both want to win. They both want to get in power, and they will do whatever it takes necessary. Mm. So I think one of the one of the di- directorial choices that me and Chris made, we decided not the actors not to do German or Polish accents yeah. or anything like that for the sole purpose of one, I wanted it to be more relatable to listeners, but two, I wanted to show the perspective of yes, we're doing a real time in history, but this could happen to anyone in mm-hmm. any country at any time if the wrong type of people get in power there is also fact because it's so important and so meaningful mm-hmm. if you had someone doing a Polish accent it'd be like oh this feels a little bit like mockery even if they do a perfect impression it's like but it's still a Polish pe- person speaking English about the matter like chances are they would have been speaking German and Polish and other such languages rather than like English so there is always that level of separation that happens when you're like yeah, we want to make it as realistic as possible but in order to make it realistic having the character like having an actor just use their voice yeah. as it is naturally as you mm. said we didn't want to be a mockery or be disrespectful to the people of like the Jewish faith because again their ancestors went through some of the most horrific things a person mm. could go through in history and we wanted to honour that and tell their story in the most respectful way that we possibly could which it is important because especially holocaust world war ii affected the world like it is that simple of like these are events that started there that impacted every single person and like even if you look at it there's things that britain could have done like and they those same kinds of issues we see today in the news and in the world of like this bad thing is happening in this place and it would only take a small amount of intervention to help mm. out but then it's also shown in the past intervention has made things worse so it's like it's, you never know what's the right thing to do it must be hard for leaders to be there like which is the oh, right thing yeah mm. 
especially like look at Russia like they threaten if Britain gets too involved we'll be part of it and yeah. that's endangering us but of course we want to help out the people of the Ukraine yeah. and I'm glad it, one thing I will say for our government I'm glad we're taking in refugees from uh, Ukraine yeah. that's one thing I will say so at least we've, we're learning from history <laughs> I hope mm-hmm. slowly and surely mm-hmm. and hopefully long term we are learning and improving because now to move from the heavy stuff let's go immersive theater i want to ask a bunch of questions because i haven't had a lot of experience with it because i when i think of it my mind explodes like it sounds intense and insane and it's the i think personally it's the perfect way to have this shown of like you're in it you're watching you're seeing the art you're hearing the stories like i think it's good that it's not happening on a when you're in the theater there can often be like a divide between like this is the audience and this is the actors and they are acting and sometimes i love that don't get me wrong but then with stuff like this having it be so intimate and personal is i think a wonderful directive choice and like creative choice as a whole how did you find coming on board as a director taking on that challenge of an immersive theater piece well, I've done immersive theatre before, but I've never done it in this medium. We've got realistically, we've got three different mediums at play here. You've got Jason's artwork, you've got the video slash recording footage of the six timelines, and then you've got like the actor like performing a monologue like in front of the audience. That's three different mediums trying to find a way to flow it through where it feels natural so the audience are too distracted and but ought to be grounded and yet so that was a challenge we i've never done a radio drama before for example so we tried to find ways like oh how can we link this to this oh what's the order to go through and i think what we've come up with i I don't want to spoil too much but i think (laughs) what we've come up with i think the audience will enjoy the very somber experience but i think people will be moved what did you when you first like got a hold of the script? What was your first kind of initial thoughts? Heartbreaking. Can't imagine being in that situation. I'm so lucky. I live in the time and the place where I live because. Yeah, we are just so fortunate. Like, I think it's so easy to forget. Like, we can get stressed out with our jobs and life and money or whatever it is, but we've never, ever had to deal with the horrors and experiences that these people are going or those people have went through and the people of Ukraine are currently going through. We are so fortunate, and I think I, I just wanted to be really respectful, so I was very careful of how which actors I chose so I knew would be respectful of the role but also would feel comfortable because one I've never directed an audio drama before and I wanted people to be able to bounce off with to be like oh let's try it this way oh maybe cut that line there that doesn't quite work Mm. and be able to be more of a collaborative process rather than directing uh, as a director going you do this you say this now go oh yeah I've never been that way (laughs) the best directing experience because I'm only starting to get into directing now and the best I find is like you get the best results when you like work with the actors and let them do their job of like you see the scene as a whole and how the audience is going to take it in and the actor thinks about their character and how they can best bring that out and like it's working together collaboratively and trusting that they also have a mind that can think and like working together with that that you always just you have more fun first of all like it's, it's just more fun to be like oh what do you think person like rather than be like do as i tell you because that's no one has fun in that situation and there's always like there's gonna be things you don't think of 
I also have a theory that the darker the project, the funnier the rehearsals are. Honest <laughs> to God, I have never, in all the shows I've worked on, I've laughed and cried as hard as I did oh recording the timeline. And honest to God, Andrew, please never release the bloopers. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> We would be cancelled, yeah. But it, it's, you have to when you t- you with oh such God, yeah. traumatic stories. You've got to try and find ways to make light of it. Otherwise, you just want to go home and slit your wrists. Like the classic: if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Yes. Wait, is that the right way around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, nice. Yeah. But it is, it is if you don't laugh, you'll cry because. When you're doing heavy stuff, it's like, oh, well, this is heavy. And as an actor, you're immersed in it. And as a director, you're fully in it. So if you're not laughing about it at some point, you'll just go home thinking, I have had the worst day ever, and I hate my job. And with the privilege of our jobs, it's like, mm, I don't want to hate this, so let's make some stupid jokes so that no one gets too upset. I also think trauma does always bring out the best kinds of jokes. I think people are their best when, <laughs> when they've been traumatised, which is awful. But it's like... I know my, my friends who've gone through the worst things say the funniest things about it. It's true. Like, there's a study that says that if it, people that have, like, dark humour are more co- equipped to deal with, like, the darker things in life. Yeah. And I absolutely believe that. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's, it's human to be like, oh, I feel sad, but I don't want to always feel sad, so I want to feel something opposite to sad. And most often, that's happiness, laughter. And it is also, like, it's the easiest way to communicate, I think. It's like, you're laughing and joking, it's like, people listen more than when you're like, I'm sad that I'm talking to you. Like, if you just have a constant sad voice, people go, oh, not them again. Like, if, it's, it's a balance. It's why I often find, like, my friends who have depression, funny bastards. I'll say that again. My friends who have depression, funny people. <laughs> like, it's awful to think, but... I imagine Jordan, the actual events of Germany, like the people there were making funny jokes. Because it's like, how else do you cope? When you feel powerless, what else can you do except find a way to laugh about it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I I hope they were able to find some moments of joy in such a <laughs> yeah. horrific circumstance. And yeah. yeah. And also, one, a thing I wanted to ask you as well. So going from directing stage plays to directing a radio experience... What's it, what was the biggest difference you found there, other than obviously not directing for people to see? Just focusing solely, solely on voice is really interesting. You focus so much more on pacing, you focus more on like the little lulls, you focus more on about, okay, in folio we need to do this sound effect and this sound effect for this to work. Yeah. And like getting the actors to be like, okay, you need to be more scared there, oh, it needs to be this. And you, like, Obviously, when you because you have to look at the whole thing as like, oh, does it look visually interesting? Movement, oh, make sure the backstory's on the stage. Whereas if you're solely focusing on voice, you can literally just close your eyes and figure out what works and what doesn't. And I've never focused on the voice that thoroughly before. Do you think that'll change how you now work with stage plays again? I definitely think I'll be a strong influence. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I you could just go, no, won't change a thing. <laughs> I think uh, this is the thing when it comes to like the w- limited budget and limited time, yeah. you can't focus on the details of a voice that thoroughly. Yeah. Whereas, like again, with like more time, more budget, absolutely, I would love to focus more on that. Mm. But as the constraints of theatre, it can be hard, can't it? Mm. Yeah. Liz, as a writer, how often, like when you're writing stuff, I'm assuming you're thinking about voice. How much detail would you say you put into it? Uh, about sorry. About like when you think about how the actor's gonna. Yeah. vocally portray the words you're putting on the page um, I, I suppose it's just writing the best dialogue that you can do mm. um, and then I, I tend to write dialogue I don't really put that much sort of direction with dialogue because I think 
what the scene and what's happening should portray to the director and the actors kind of what's And I love that on. about you, to yeah. be fair. <laughs> right, okay. But one thing I will say, when I read your work, you can tell who's who because you've got a distinct voice in the style of character. You can tell mm. the voices of the characters in your head. You, it's, whereas some writers who aren't as experienced, it could be said mm. by anyone. If that makes any right, sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Lauren. You're welcome. <laughs> this sounds to me like you get you really get into like the psyche of the character you're writing. Yeah. I'm imagining that was a lot writing this. Yeah, it was. You just, I mean, with me, it's like with, with anything really. You try and put yourself in that position. So, so you try and be kind of kind of feel like what the character's going to be. Try and be them, sort of thing, you know. So, so like I said before, this was sort of putting myself in these situations was, was sort of the most difficult sort of harrowing yeah. thing I'd ever written you know um, but you try yeah so you try and put yourself in their shoes and then I think you know if, if I do that I can hopefully portray them more realistically and authentically um, so yeah but it is and, and like I say with the dialogue you try and get that across but you, you know it's open to the interpretation of people that like Zara and the actors that are going yeah. to work on it yeah I always find when I speak to people who write who don't understand the idea of a collaboration because there's a lot of people yeah. like this is how you do my words and this is the perfect and sometimes that yeah. is appropriate because like, if you don't like poetry or something if you don't deliver a line in a specific way yeah. it goes against what's written but I find like when you're writing like conversational stuff it's like yeah. if an actor gets a hold of it they can then add on to what you've done and flesh out the character more and it's just a it makes them yeah. actually alive yeah, and speak yeah, yeah. and can kind of make, make it themselves to a degree as well yeah. like, you know because um, that's one of the things I've learned by writing plays and stuff and seeing my work done is how much um, other people contribute to it so the director and the actors the bits that they put in <coughs> just kind of finishes it off you know yeah. it makes it a whole a whole thing rather than just my my writing so it's great, great it's definitely it that well. would thicker like yeah. we, we did alter and change quite a bit but for the better like and yeah 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 and it's it's good to see that you know and I think you need that with any writing you need other mm. people putting their yeah. their things their contribution to it yeah. to make it just richer really no, absolutely know? but yeah. sadly not everyone is as generous as you like some writers can be really precious with their work and you yeah. have to be like oh but why did you make this this would make more sense and it's yeah. it's refreshing when you've got an open-minded writer that's willing to be like it's your baby now we as long as you let me know what's going on <laughs> go, go for it yeah so by the sounds of it the collaboration that happens between you two while you were directing and with your writing was quite a good situation to have and like with the final product when you first saw it in November how did it just feel I was shocked how good it turned out. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a wow. horrible way, but because, like, we keep in mind, we recorded it over a year ago. Oh, yeah. So I not completely forgot about it, but almost <laughs> completely forgot about it. And, like, God, yeah, I remember how good that was. Oh, God. I, and, and particularly with how the uh, Jason's, like, done, like, the images and, like, animated it and mm. things, it, it made it so much more poignant and beautiful and like the folio like it it was gorgeous yeah like even like i've only seen like the first three episodes i've not seen like the last three yet wow. so I, i'm still <laughs> yeah. looking forward to that i think chris will send us that soon <laughs> was yours in the first three or was yours I the had, last I three i had one in the first three oh, okay so you've two not in this one yeah oh, you've been two. yeah yeah 
from yeah. Waterloo being so, blessed. Yeah. When, I, when I saw it the first because Chris had said like it was going to be animation in it, so I had no idea what to expect. You yeah. know, when I came for the first one in November, and I, same as Zara, I was I just thought it was brilliant. You know, I thought it was really clever what what they'd done. You know, and it just it was just really sort of effective, and the way it was done, sort of um, you know like old film kind of thing, which made it more sort of realistic. Yeah. But you know, using Jason's artwork as like a basis to animate, I've never yeah. seen anything like that no, before. Like no. it was yeah, it was a great good. way to incorporate the actual real art pieces with mm. the voiceovers and everything. It yeah. just it stand out really beautifully, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I really really good. hope people come and buy tickets to come see yeah, it. Yeah, please, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see it. You know, me I'm too. imagining yeah, in the because it's a new venue. It's not it's not going to be in the same venue. No, it's uh, the Royal Standard. Yeah, so I'm imagining in the Royal Standard, there's going to be like. Having the new space to it is going to bring like an extra level again on top of like all the new stuff that's being added. Yeah, and there'll even yeah. be new artwork for any of anyone that come to see the preview down at the Arts Bar basement. There's going to be even more artwork added to the original, so it'll be whole new like video audio drama, as well as like the images that you've seen before and the all six episodes. So yeah, it's a lot. Plus live performances by Rachel Howard. This, okay. I'm so excited for this. So how long has this been? You can't think of the words. How long has this been like in conception for? Well, it's since it's be, definitely before COVID. Yeah, wow. but I can't. I couldn't. It, I think it was just before COVID, and we had Chris had the idea um, of doing the the radio plays, and sort of said, you know, to write. So it was going to be six, and asked me to write three. So it was it was before that, and then I think there was a delay through them being recorded because of COVID, mm. and then I think once they could do that, that's a year ago when Zara and the actors did it. Um, so it's been yeah, a good few years. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been, been there's been, been plenty of pushbacks, and delays, and <laughs> yeah, changes. Yeah. But I'm glad it's finally happening. We get to see it at its like yeah. full form. It'll yeah. definitely be worth the wait. Like yeah. every single aspect of it, like with the animations and the paintings, and like yeah. everything about it has been handled with such care and love. Yeah, I, I completely forgot. I haven't even mentioned the music, Florence King. Like the music oh, she's yeah. created oh. for it. That's going to be played throughout like, the video animation. Gorgeous, absolutely oh gorgeous. Mm. Not a dry mm. eye in the house. No, not a dry eye in the and house. Were you saying the exhibition of the artwork itself will Is, be there? Yeah, it will be there throughout, but there'll be performance slots, so you'll get to see the actual video footage and the live performance by Rachel. That will be at times, I think, Friday at 8. 6 and 8 pm, yeah. and the 25th will be 4 pm, 6 pm, and 8 pm. Yeah. How your brain is able to understand that, like in the sense of immersive theatre, it's amazing. Say, like you've booked slots. Like I'm used to showing up at a specific time. Be told this is when the audience will come in. You will do your job. <laughs> they will leave. Job done. Yeah. Like it is amazing to me how much effort and love goes into immersive theatre, and it's absolute. Like the payouts, absolutely. You can tell, like the quality of it has to be high, or it just won't get across. And I think. There's nothing better as an audience member when you fully get to feel like you're in the performance, especially when it's something that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. The amount of hours and the amount of people that's been part of yeah, this is yeah, just insane. Loads, like yeah. the amount of years, like yeah. it's yeah. it's nuts yeah. to think about. But I'm glad it's finally happening, and I hope there'll be more of it in the future. Yeah. And the artwork is fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. Really, really. Well good. done, Jason. What did yeah. you first think when you saw the artwork? Stunning, yeah, heartbreaking, stunning, yeah. and I could recognise the episodes instantly. Going, oh, there's Hugo, wow. and oh no, this scene, and I, I, you could see moments and the way he's captured, like just even like the facial expressions of yeah. like, you know something bad's about to happen, mm. to like the shadows, and yeah, it's very, very beautiful but haunting. 
show. When is the show and where can you get tickets? Okay. The show is on the 24th and the 25th of February at the Royal Standard. You can get tickets at opening nights. And I think that's it. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with me. It's been, yeah, I'm so excited for this project. Like, it takes every single one of my boxes. So thank you so much for speaking to me, even though we're cold and outside. It's been a lovely time. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Amy Walsh, and this is the Opening Nights Podcast. Bye. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Opening Nights. Our next production is coming very soon, so be sure to get subscribed wherever you're listening and visit our website, www.openingnights.co.uk, to stay updated. Bye for now.